Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equip You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Uh, and with us today is our friend and our sister in Christ, Elisa Childers. Elisa, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Dave. Yeah, it is. It is always good. We always manage to make it through and have good conversations. And um, I always get a lot of good feedback uh, from our episodes. So praise the Lord. But can you uh, just catch us up? I think it's been, what, another year since we've chatted. Uh, catch us up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Yeah, well, a, a lot. <laughs> the answer to all of those questions is a lot. <laughs> so if, if anything, my husband and I have been having to kind of sit down and go, okay, we need to have a lot more things we say no to because it's just gotten really, really busy, especially this last year. So we just came out with the deconstruction book, which we're going to be talking about today. Um, I do not thank God. Praise the Lord. I don't have another book I'm working on right now. <laughs> I'm so thankful to have a little bit of a break from book writing, because I feel like I've been writing a book since about 2018. Um, so it, it's really great to have that off my plate right now. Um, but I've been traveling a bit, um, getting to take the kids with me here and there. And Mike, my husband, has been getting to come with me here and there. And so we're just, we're all full-time in on this ministry. So my husband was for 40 years in the music industry, traveling as a musician and as a road manager. And so about a year and a half ago, I want to say, maybe it's close to two years now, he completely retired, came off the road and came full-time with me in this ministry. Yeah. So when people ask me, you know, how do you do all the things you do? I, I say, well, I do very little of the things I do. It's a lot of it is about 60% of it is Mike. So I'm very, very thankful for, for that. And we've got our 15-year-old uh, and our 12-year-old. And we have, I have two older stepkids that are 29 and 26. And my oldest is married, and now we have a couple of grandbabies and just got a new one after Thanksgiving. So we're I'm, I'm over the moon about the grandbabies. I actually don't think I knew that. So yeah. I learned something new. I don't know if our listeners or those who watch that knew that either. So that's really c congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything they say it is. The grandparent stage is amazing. I love it. That's great. Well, can you tell us about this book that you wrote with Tim, The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond? Uh, tell us why you guys wrote it and how you hope it'll be received, please. Yeah, well, it's really important for people to know that this is not the book you're going to give to your friend who's deconstructing. We didn't write it for people in deconstruction. There are plenty of books that are written from that perspective, but what we wanted to do is write a book for their parents and friends and pastors and spouses and loved ones that that a book that could really help equip the church to understand what this phenomenon is all about and how we can respond to it and ultimately how is this going to um inform the way we pursue relationship with people who are deconstructing because there's often a lot of tension in the relationships and so we decided to write it um because <laughs> i actually didn't want to write another book as i mentioned earlier i'm so thrilled to not be writing a book right now but I was really in the middle of finishing up my book that came out before this one, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, when I got a text from Tim, 
who I had noticed he was posting a lot about deconstruction and really liked the things that he had to say. I felt like, wow, he really gets it because I actually was observing, feeling like a lot of evangelical thought leaders did not really understand deconstruction. I, I would just remember thinking, I don't think they understand what's happening because they were talking about it like it's this positive thing, like it's this good and healthy thing. And I'm thinking, I, that is not what it is. And so Tim was talking about it in a way that I agreed with. And I was like, oh, yeah, he really gets it. Well, he texted me one day kind of out of the blue. He had been at a summer camp speaking to young people about deconstruction. And he just said, have you ever thought about writing a book? Like, you need to write a book on deconstruction. And I said, Tim, I have to finish this book. I can't even think about another book right now. And he's like, well, what if we co-wrote it? And the second he said that, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> and so uh, that from that day, we started talking a lot, researching. Now, it was a while before I was able to really dive in and start writing it. But that's okay because it took so much research as well just to um, before we even started writing. So that's kind of how it came about. And I think for me, there was a sense of urgency because I was seeing so many people fighting over this word. It's it's a fairly new phenomenon as we're seeing it manifest right now. And so there were people saying, oh, no, that's the wrong definition. That's the wrong definition. And I remember thinking, well, nobody gets to claim what it means. Say what you think it means and then defend it. And so that's what Tim and I wanted to do. And in the book, we we give our definition and we spend the bulk of the book defending that definition. Yeah. Before we get to the questions, do you want to give your definition of, of how you're defining deconstruction? Just Just so that people know what you're talking about. Yeah. So we had, it was the hardest sentence in the whole book to write. And here's how we define deconstruction. De faith deconstruction is a postmodern process of rethinking your beliefs, but not regarding scripture as a standard. And we chose those words very carefully. And also, by the way, we acknowledge that people aren't all defining it that way, but we think that definition represents the, the majority of the people in the deconstruction movement. And then as it, you know, the word has a history in this context and it's connected philosophically. So those two components come together to help us with our definition. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good definition. It, it's succinct and it's really helpful. You know, I know before we were recording, we, we were, you were talking a little bit about uh, the pushback that you've, that you've gotten. Um, so what kind of pushback have you gotten about the book from the deconstruction movement? Well, interestingly, a lot of the pushback has been on the definition. But what's interesting to me is that people will rail against the definition, but they'll also agree with it. <laughs> and so what will end up happening is someone will say, well, what's wrong with postmodernism? Or what's wrong with, you know, not having by the Bible as authority? And, and really what I would ask them to do is step back and just, we're just saying what it is. We're not even criticizing those things. We're just saying this is what it is. Now, of course, we do criticize those things in the book. But the definition of itself is just a statement of what we think is going on. And so the postmodern part would be a rejection of the idea that uh, objective truth can be known when it comes to religion and morality. And then, of course, the rejection of spiritual authority of the Bible, because ultimately that's what deconstruction is. This is a shift of authority from an outside source of like, I'm going to discover what's true outside of myself to the authority of the self, and I'm now the, the truth maker. So that's that's one piece of pushback. And, and what's so interesting, Dave, in all the pushback that I've received, almost every time they prove us right with the way they're talking about it. So one example was we gave that definition, a postmodern process of rethinking your beliefs, but not regarding scripture as a standard. And almost all of the comments from the deconstructionists said things like, well, you just mean your interpretation of scripture or what you, and, and they're just confirming that 
that they don't think the the word has objective meaning, that it's really just kind of very malleable and you can interpret it in any which way. Another piece of pushback that I've seen quite a bit is we argue in the book that even people in the deconstruction movement who end up saying that they're Christians are are really not following the real Jesus. Well, many people will come in the comments and say, oh, no, I deconstructed and I love Jesus more than ever. But if you look at their profile, you go and ask a few more questions. um, They're progressive Christians who have denied all of the core elements of the real Jesus. So I think our criticism stands. They might call it Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. And, um, you know, universalism and all these things that they've now come to affirm in the name of Jesus. But um, we cover all that in the book, too. So. Uh, it's interesting that when people rail against us, they're kind of proving our point. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a really good point. I mean, because we have objective truth, but but the problem is, is most people, as as you and I know, and other people know, you know, w- when people make claims, we can say, well, where's the evidence? Where's the conviction? Where's the worldview? What's the belief behind what you're saying? And people get really uncomfortable when you ask that question because they want to make claims without any evidence. But that's not yeah. an argument, as we know. Arguments have, you know, they have, they, they make it exactly, they make an argument, they make a claim, and they have to have evidence. If you don't make, if you make a claim without any evidence, you're not making an argument. You're just giving an opinion or not, not even an opinion, really. You're just saying whatever you want. And it yeah. makes nobody no sense. And so nobody understands what you're saying and what you mean when you say what you do. And I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of that is this conversation. I know we'll probably talk about that in, in a minute. But it, I mean, and it, I say that because it, that's sad. That's tragic. But that's that's the reality out there just intellectually. Now, of course, you know, we would never say that to somebody that we're sitting there talking to like, hey, you made a claim. You could say, hey, I made a claim. Can you substantiate that claim? We're not going to show how, you know, what they're doing is totally, you know, illogical or or anything like that to browbeat them or anything. But we have to understand that just intellectually, that's what's happening. Now, relationally, obviously, we have to take a different approach and talk about uh, it differently. Like, hey, this is happening in your your life. What's causing this? And and get to the, take a biblical counseling type approach. Mm really dig in and find out what, what's happening. And that is, that is, um, you know, you can combine the intellectual with the, you know, the relational, um, but we have to understand, we have to understand both. I struggle intellectually with this whole idea and reading about it in various books and and things, because it's like, where's the definition? So your mm-hmm. definition makes, makes the most sense of anything I've read so far. Um, in this movement coming from, you know, somebody that's a conservative Bible-believing Christian, you know, in the Protestant tradition. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I haven't seen too much that's really helpful in a definition uh, thus far as I've been. Well, and, and Dave, that's because the thing is so postmodern. So what's really interesting is when Tim and I were researching for the book, one of the things we wanted to do was to meet privately with people who have platforms in the deconstruction space and just pick their brain a little bit and and talk with them about what they believe. And what was so interesting, and, and of course it was, we told them we would keep it anonymous, so I won't say who this was, but we we met with one person and um, this person, you know, makes a lot of claims about the deconstruction movement and who the people are with percentages and all sorts of things. And so I gave a just a thumbnail sketch of my story of my faith crisis. And I said, would you consider that to be 
deconstruction as you understand it. And this person said, well, I don't, I don't, I just let people say they're, if, if they, they get to self-identify as deconstruct. So he has, he has no definition. It's literally just, if you say you deconstructed, then you get to be a part of the thing. But what's so interesting about that is when I, back when I wrote another gospel, if you have my first book, you'll see me describe my faith crisis as deconstruction. I used that word in 2019. It was the best word I had. Um, but I correct myself in this book. I say, actually, I did. I, that was the wrong word. I did not deconstruct because I was always searching for truth. And so I realize now I didn't deconstruct. I had a faith crisis. It was agonizing. It was painful. It was years long, but it wasn't deconstruction because de I was not doing it from a postmodern perspective of trying to figure out what I believed. And for some reason, for a while, I was trying to hang on to the word, I think, because there is sort of this cultural power to it. But that's when I realized, no, that is not what happened to me. So it, it is interesting, even just the postmodern um, presuppositions behind that, just to say, well, wh whoever says they've deconstructed, that's how we know they're deconstructed. They have deconstructed. It's like, you know, the what is a woman? A woman is someone who identifies as a woman. What is a woman? A woman is like it's circular reasoning because it's just you're defining the word by using the word. <laughs> No, that that even reminds me. There was something on the news. Uh, I think it was a couple months ago, where you know somebody in in the House of Representatives or the the Senate was asked, you know, explain what a woman is, and yeah, they couldn't they couldn't do it because you know they culture, culture we're we're losing even because of this movement. We're even losing, and our culture is recognizing this, even the language in which were able to use words. So me Well, I don't even I don't know if you saw the Matt Walsh what is a woman documentary, but he asked a college professor that question, what's a woman? And the professor said a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. And Matt Walsh is like, "Can you define the word without using the word?" <laughs> and it's it's no they couldn't. That's right. That's right. So what um let's let's go here. You know, I think one of the biggest issues about this movement uh in my my estimation, okay? you know, formally trained theologically is what is it? What does the thing mean? I'm always asking, like, what does this mean? You know? So is there a difference between deconstruction and the theological category of apostasy? This is such a great question because, well, first of all, it would depend on how the person is defining deconstruction. Cause you could have a kid come home from youth camp on fire for God and wanting to make his faith his own. So he's heard the word deconstruction, and what he means is he's taking the teachings his parents gave him, and he's going to Scripture, and he's testing it all against Scripture. And a lot of, actually, Gen Z youth will use it that way, because a lot of evangelical thought leaders have taught them to do that. Um, so, you know, obviously, in that case, no, it's not apostasy, but true deconstruction, as we're defining it, um, I would say in most cases, without being the personal judge of each person's heart, I would say yes. I mean, this is what, this is apostasy. Um, now, I suspect that there are a number of people in the deconstruction movement that might just be really confused. Maybe they've had some legitimate trauma, some spiritual abuse, and they're very confused. They don't know where the, where a safe place is. And if they are truly Christians, it's it's my belief that they will persevere to the end, right? Um, I'm not a five point Calvinist, but I do agree with that. I think they will they will if you're truly saved, you will persevere to the end. And that doesn't mean there won't be significant times of confusion and darkness and uh, all of that. But for the most part, I think yes, we are looking at a, a, a great apostasy. That's good.
Yeah, when people write, you know, and things, I'm just like, okay, so when you use that word, are you meaning just, why don't you just use apostasy? Because yeah. apostasy has a meaning. Deconstruction has a meaning, but it's not carefully defined. And so I just, I just get, I just get concerned when people start talking about deconstruction as apostasy and then people get confused and then they associate the deconstruction with apostasy and apostasy has an actual definition following, mm. you know, what the Bible says and then what the church has said. And I, and I appreciate you being careful, you know, you don't have to be reformed necessarily to believe in the perseverance of the saints. I think it helps, yeah. but, you know, as a confessional and reformed Baptist, but, you know, I, uh, I, I appreciate your answer. Nonetheless, it's, uh, it's, it's refreshing to, to hear where you're, where you're at on that, of course. But, um, you know, I, I think that we do just have to be careful about what we're saying and what we mean. And uh, I know we've talked about this idea before, of course, about wrestling with faith and confidence in the Bible over over against those who exit the faith altogether. Is it is this an important distinction you think to make, um, like you're talking about with uh, those who are, you know, wrestling with with uh, their faith and those kind of things over and against those um with uh that are deconstructing that uh mm. likely aren't just wrestling with faith and confidence in the bible they're just you know kind of playing around with ideas if you will mm. yeah well it's really interesting when you go into that deconstruction hashtag which is by the way where this this is really manifesting is online because people tend to disconnect from their church communities and even their blood families and then they find community online of people that are affirming them and celebrating them um, and ultimately, what we're seeing is that people are sort of tearing apart their theological beliefs, but they're not asking, is this belief true or false? I mean, even take the Bible out of it. They're not saying, is this true or false? Is this correct or incorrect? They're asking questions like, is this helpful or harmful? Is this oppressive or liberating? Is this traumatic or healthy? And so, <clears throat> of course, we want to reject unhealthy beliefs and toxic and harmful beliefs. But you can't know what those are unless you first know what is true. So what ends up happening in the deconstruction movement is that people are going really to what resonates in their own heart. If they feel harmed by something, they will get rid of that doctrine. If they feel helped by it, they might keep it. If they feel that something is toxic to them, they'll get rid of it. And it turns out, Dave, that in that movement, this toxic theology that they're all leaving behind tends to be the narrative arc of the gospel, right? To be told you're a, in the in the deconstruction movement, to be told you're a sinner, that's an abusive thing to tell somebody because that's what abusers do. Abusers try to knock you down a peg so that they can control you and manipulate you. Um, this is why you'll see video after video claiming that the church just invented the doctrine of hell to control people with fear. Again, it's not about what's, it's not, is, is hell true? It's That's not the question. The question is, why would the church do this? Well, it must be to, you know, prop up some system of oppression to keep me down and keep me for, from thinking to my, for myself and, and being my own person. And so this sense of personal autonomy is really huge in the deconstruction movement. Whereas if you're really wrestling with your faith, like Tim and I talk about this in the book, we want you to wrestle with your faith. We want you to press hard and ask hard questions. And if you have doubts, engage those doubts. Don't just push those down. Um, you should know why you believe the Bible is the word of God. Do you know why we recognize the books of the Bible? We do. I mean, I think most Christians probably don't know the answers to some of those questions. And we're saying we should be doing that. But let's not call that deconstruction. 
Like that's what all Christians should be doing. We don't need a fancy brand new word to describe something that Christians have been doing for 2000 years. And that's where I really have a beef with some, you know, of well-meaning, of course, well-intentioned evangelical thought leaders who try to portray deconstruction as if it's that. Because what I don't understand is why do we need a postmodern word? And this is a postmodern word, which we can talk about if you want to. Um, but it's manifesting in a very particular way. Why are we trying to baptize that into Christianity as if it's a sacrament? Like, get saved, get baptized, and then deconstruct your faith. There, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about that. Now, what the Bible does talk about is test all things and hold fast to what is good. Be a Berean, right? Be they were they were searching the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And they were praised for it. Like, we want to be doing those kinds of things. We want to hold fast to good doctrine. There's so many passages of scripture that talk about this. But like, why are we using a postmodern word all of the sudden? And the church has never needed that word before. And so that's kind of my my commentary on the other side of things that are trying to baptize the word to mean something healthy or good um, from, from a spiritual perspective. As you're talking, I, I just think of a, a smoothie. You know, you put everything into the smoothie, you know, like your Greek yogurt and your fruit and everything. And that's exactly kind of what everybody is doing with this. They're like, just let me put this all in a cup and mix it about. And then, of course, you know, you come out with a sloppy mess. You know, you don't come out with yeah. anything that tastes good or even looks good. And when you apply that to theology, you have a you have what we call syncretism, of course, you know, the mixing that's and matching right. of everything. And um you know, it just brings me back to when I was at a community college in Seattle and um, I was talking to lots of people. And this is this is the this was uh, two. By the way, this was 2000, 2002 ish, uh, three ish. And uh, so, you know, 17, 18, almost 20 years ago. And this is this was happening. This is happening at college. And now you fast forward 20 plus years and this thing is all, you know, a thousand times worse. And so. As you're talking, I just thinking back to that, the, all those conversations, and uh, when you, and then when you get to the exclusive claims of the Bible, and you get to the exclusive claims of Christ, you know, forget it. You have then you have, oh well, I can mix and match. And this was like I said, 20 years ago. You can mix yeah. and match yoga with New Age and all the other things, and you know, ungodly, uh, you know, secular. Um, Eastern mysticism and man, isn't that an issue, you know, mm -hmm. but I saw yeah. that 20 years ago and the, it's just fast forwarded on steroids now. So, yeah. And it's given like all these, this fancy terminology now, you know, it's, it's, and this is the thing too, that's interesting about what you just said, because, you know, we might refer to that as the new spirituality. It's just kind of new age repackaged where you just cobble together some things that give you peace in your life, maybe lower your blood pressure <laughs> you know, make you feel like you're not going to yell at your coworkers or something. And that's how people approach religion. And interestingly, in the deconstruction movement, as, as related to that, is it's almost like atheism is going out of fashion because you don't see a lot of people deconstruct and then call themselves an atheist. Because an atheist would almost imply that you have landed on a concrete position about how you see the world. And that is like a complete no-no in the deconstruction community. In fact, many deconstructionists will even say, don't have a goal, don't land anywhere. In fact, they'll say, don't construct new beliefs because if you do, you'll just have to deconstruct those beliefs. And so the whole point is to have no goal. Although, as we point out in the book, it, it absolutely does have a goal. <clears throat> and that's to leave behind this toxic theology that is what you and I believe, basically. Yeah, that's good. 
So what do you say to parents whose children have left the faith and to pastors even who are seeing youth and many others leave the church as a result of this movement? Mm. Well, um, I have personal opinions about about this. One of the things I want to be really clear in the book, we don't speculate on the question of, you know, are the people who left, were they ever Christians? I mean, I have personal opinions about that, but we didn't speculate on that in the book. But what I think this is my personal opinion. I think if you look at where we are in church history, you have the rise of the seeker-sensitive church. You have the rise of the megachurch model. Um, you have the rise of this sort of, um, Rosario Butterfield calls it the dog and pony show of the conference circuit. And this is something I'm starting to have massive problems with. I'm looking at maybe somebody contracted me for a, a conference and then I see the ad and there's like two or three speakers that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can be aligned with these people. And I've had to actually pull out of a couple of things and, and disinvite myself. And so, so I think that's the kind of mega church sort of broad mentality where we're not really being precise about what the gospel is, because that would eliminate a lot of the people that are <laughs> being brought in to speak at some of these things. Um, and so that's something that's even personally been difficult for me. But I think because of this, you have an environment that fosters non-Christian Christians. And what I mean by that is I think there are a lot of people that grew up in church and go to church and are sitting in our pews who are not saved. They're not Christians. And I mean, I, I again, the Lord knows those who are his, but I'm just saying it's a perfect environment to maybe be comfortable around Christians. Maybe you like the community. Maybe you believe, maybe you believe the right things, but you've never trusted in Christ. And, you know, demons believe the right things, right? They, demons know what good theology is, but they're not obviously saved. So I think we have a lot of people that grow up in church and then maybe they are struggling with their sexuality or they have a friend who's struggling with their sexuality, or maybe they've never read the Bible and then they read it for the first time and they realize, wow, the Old Testament gets a little rough. <laughs> and uh, what do I what do I do with that? Because all my life I was just coloring pictures of Noah's Ark thinking it was a giant floating zoo. And I didn't realize that God wiped out the, in, you know, all humanity. So um, then they're wrestling with these things, but without the foundation of really having that, um, that trust in Christ for themselves. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot. I think that's what the vast majority of the deconstruction movement is, is there, they might give intellectual reasons, but the, I think those reasons are just justification for the unbelief that's already there because they want out. Um, and, and so much of it has to do with sexual freedom. I mean, that makes its way into just about every, every deconstruction story. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And, and again, it brings me back to, uh, about 2001 when, um, or even 2000, when I started seeing my friends go off to Bible college and then they would come back to the college group at church and, and they'd be like, Dave, I'm really, I've been to Bible college now for a year. I asked what asked them how you're doing. And, and they would come back and be like, I just, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. I was like, wait a minute, what are you well, talking about? What do you mean you don't know if you're a Christian? And then slowly over time, some of those same people, and this is before this whole thing's, you know, really metastasized, but I always go back to that. And I just think, wow, just, just, I just, it's so sad. It's, it's been yeah. happening. I mean, we see this exponentially growing, but it's been a problem in youth groups and among college students for at least two decades, if not more. 
Yeah. And and it just it it it's heartbreaking that these are real people that are in our churches and they're just leaving. And like you said, maybe they were never Christians before, you know, like like John says, they went out from among us because they never belonged to us. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't ultimately know the but like you said, which I appreciate, the Lord knows them. He knows their hearts. So we don't want anybody to hear us like assigning, saying we're somebody's personal Holy Spirit. Right. Because only God can see the heart. He knows the heart. You know, he he brings the we believe very clearly the Holy Spirit brings conviction and and uh you know opens eyes and ears and to leads people to the new birth. But still we you have if there's no like evidence, you know, like fruit, if there's nothing that shows, even in a, even as JC Ryle says, but Colin's even the smallest, tiniest speck, mm. you know, like that's what we're talking about. You yeah. gotta ask, you gotta ask the question, do you belong to Christ? Like, right. I'm just, yeah. if there's no evidence of obedience at all, and you know, the, it, cause you know, as we know, people are on different speeds on their sanctification journey. <laughs> and but if there's nothing, if there's no evidence of conviction of sin, if there's no evidence of obedience at all, um, I tell audiences this, you know, I speak at women's conferences, especially ladies, if there's no evidence of any of any change in you at all, doesn't have to be massive, but just something, you know, work it out with fear and trembling. Cause I would, I would question whether or not you are actually saved if there's no evidence of that at all. I just wanted to say before I forget, I, I'm so encouraged by what you said earlier that you you will even withdraw from an event uh, that where there's somebody there that you would find questionable or having questionable beliefs or practices. That is something to be absolutely commended because I, I can't even tell you how many times I have to not uh, – invite somebody to the show because mm -hmm. they've gone away and and i yeah. we both know that we could give names okay i can give i can give names with the best of them but i've even lost friends because of this very thing mm. you know in the last many years people that i've known for a decade or sometimes more yeah. we're talking about that kind of situation yeah and it's like because of quite honestly because of some of the things that we're talking about today and yeah. so, you know, when you when you talk about these things and when you when you said what you said, I just wanted to say before I forgot that that is absolutely, Elisa, to be commended that you are well, exercising you. discernment and just being really watchful and vigilant with, the, you know, the the platform yeah. that the Lord has given you. So I just well, want to say for I, me, pray for me, I because I, I'm sure I don't do it perfectly. And it's always hard, you know, to know. You, I want to cast as broad a net as possible. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, divide over uh, non-essentials, even though there are some non-essentials that I would say I, you know, I would not platform with somebody over a non-essential. It doesn't mean I would say they're not my brother or sister in Christ, but it's tough to make those decisions sometimes. Because, like right now, Mike and I are trying to make a decision about this one conference where it's like, okay, maybe I don't promote it, but I go and I say what I want to say. Because it's not it's not too bad, but it, it's so hard to make these decisions. So please pray for me that I will be faithful to the Lord with those decisions. Yeah, I just want to encourage people to pray, pray, pray for our, pray for those who podcast, pray for those who write. Mm. You know, going on these interviews, what you don't know behind it is a lot of the time you're getting these questions on the spot. I don't do that by and large. But when you go on radio, most people don't know you're getting these questions live. You, you're not getting any time to prepare. 
Um, so your preparation really is writing the book. So, yeah. uh, you know, all of that is uh, uh, honestly to be commended. And so, you know, pray for, pray for your, your authors, pray for, pray for our authors, pray for our podcasters, uh, pray for those who are out speaking and trying to be faithful. Uh, there seems to be few and far between on that end. So definitely we'll be praying. I th Thank I you. Yeah, I think something that would be really helpful for people would be what what do they look for? What are some markers here um, that can mark out a, a somebody or an organization that is deconstructing? Mm. Uh, well, I think one of and that's interesting, an organization that's deconstructing, because that does tend to happen, too, although I haven't thought that through that much. But yes, you can have organizations that kind of as a whole deconstruct. Um, I think some markers would be, I mean, I think the main one would be how how are they approaching the question of truth? Where are they getting their truth from? And if they are a, a perfect, okay, here's a perfect example of a great red flag to look for. Um, so the book, Jesus and John Wayne, was marketed to evangelicals as being written by a reformed Christian. So Kristen Dumay, I don't know if she still does, but at least a few months ago or a year ago when that book came out, whenever it came out, she was like, I'm a reformed, you know, I'm a reformed Christian. I'm conservative. This is for This is like the conservative book. Well, then on Twitter one day, somebody asked her a question. Um, and I don't know if it's, is it, do you know if it's Dume or Dumez? I'm not totally sure. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. All right. I'm going to okay. go with Dumez. Yeah, I've heard you, Dumez. Go, so, go with that. Yeah. So somebody went on Twitter and said, Dr. Dumez, how, what, what have you found is the best way to analyze power structures and like how they affect us. And she went on to say, well, I should have a better answer, which she should. But she said, but it's but it's years, she said, that I've spent reading social histories and all these things. And then she lists authors that she goes to as her authorities for how to analyze power. And she mentioned specifically Michel Foucault, who is a postmodern philosopher. Then she mentioned Antonio Gramsci, which uh, I believe he's referred to as the father of neo-Marxism, and Theodore Adorno, who is one of the leading members of uh, the Frankfurt School, from which flowed critical theory, from which flowed what we now call wokeness. Um, and then she mentioned uh, a couple other guys, but these are all postmodern and um, very left Marxist-ish, critical theory-laden people. And that's what this... You know, reformed. And then again, somebody asked, well, Denny Burke went on Twitter and asked her about if she thought homosexuality was a sin. And she ended up not responding on Twitter, but she wrote a blog post. And she basically said, I think this is an important question and I'm going to explore it, but I'm going to do so in community with my LGBTQ brothers and sisters in Christ because of the gospel. So all of that is very postmodern. Right. That's standpoint epistemology, which teaches people who experience a particular struggle or have a certain intersection of oppression, have a higher moral authority to speak on that topic. So for that, that's classic standpoint epistemology. She's saying, I'm not going to scripture to inform my view. I'm going to ask people who have been through it, and that's how I'm going to help form my view. Well, you're, you know, I don't know how much longer she's going to be able to say that she is reformed or whatever, but you know, it, yeah, you, you have this shocked look on your face, but this is what is happening all over the place. And I think she's an important example because, you know, sure, most of the church is aware of the people online saying, ah, Christianity is a joke, your Bible's a joke. But when it's people saying, no, I'm a reformed Christian, 
and this is evangelical and we need to reform evangelicalism and they're going post. I mean, it's shocking to people. I've just seen it happen so many times. It doesn't surprise me anymore. Yeah, this, this just brings me back to the, the point that we were talking about earlier. These words, they have a meaning and they, they've been defined and we, oh, we don't have to make them up. And that's yeah. that's really what we're I think what we're seeing with this movement. And, and in that example, even it's like, well, what does it mean to be <laughs> what does it mean to be confessionally reformed? I mean, you, you believe not only the Bible is true, but you believe the confessional standards like the Westminster Confession and the 1689, whether you agree with them or to, to enlarge like you subscribe to them or or not or you disagree with them, like you were mentioning um, but either either way, if you're going to call yourself reformed, that means that you would he- adhere confessionally to, you know, the three forms of unity or or Westminster Confession of Faith or the 1689 or something like yeah. that. And so, yeah, that that is, I mean, you know, again, we don't want to question the uh, the the motivation or question the heart, but we can just say. Probably not reformed, you know, probably just, not right? just just saying like just saying like, you know, because of what you said, I mean, so, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's tragic. But it just goes back to show that, again, like you were mentioning earlier, that subjectivism is alive and well in our day, the, the elevation of our feelings above the Bible. And, you know, we know that the church has had something to say about that. Right. And of course, we know that the Bible supremely has something to say about that. And so it's just it's it's just really tragic, you know, and that's and that's been, I think, where we're at in this post covid world. It's it's just everybody has a voice and it's like you have to really ask, okay, where this person, where is this? Where are these? Not even what are these person's credentials? Where do they go to school? Who do they but who do they listen to? Who are they tuning into? Mm. Who, Who are they working with? Because because if you can show oh, that's why I when I look at a book. For example, I use this as a very practical example. Who endorsed the book? Yeah. Who endorsed Super important. Yeah. You know, who endorsed? So I'm just thinking like, who endorsed this book? And because a lot of the, even the, we won't name names. We're not naming names here. So we're, we're trying to behave here. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're real. I'm trying to behave here. Yeah. That, that can be a hard thing. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> a little sarcasm there. Yeah, I can yeah. behave. <laughs> I have, I have a measure of self control. Thanks, <laughs> but um, you know what? We're, what we've seen is though so many of of what's happened in the last since COVID and and even mm. a little bit before that is so many people have have compromised, and we're not mm-hmm. talking about the vaccine. We're talking about things that go well beyond the vaccine. Got, yeah, to in the in the essential category. Yes, that now it's like man, you just have to wonder like. Um, is this person still solid? So I'll even have to go look like what is yeah. they, what have they said? You know, even some people that I've had on six times, seven times on this show, I won't have them on anymore yeah. for the same reason that you said. I mean, yeah. so it's always like, it's always just like, hey, what has this person been saying? What have they been doing? Yeah. Who have and they you know been- what's interesting is to yeah. go back before COVID and look at who endorsed everybody's books. And you can see how everybody sort of splintered off after COVID. It was like, it was crazy to me, even like, um, and here's another interesting thing about why it's important to look at book endorsements is a lot of people kind of the unspoken thing, I think among authors is that a lot of times people will just endorse their friends books without reading them. 
And, you know, I've made a strict rule and I've had to tell many of my friends that I couldn't endorse because I can't endorse everybody's books, but I will only endorse a book if I've actually read it myself. And that's, I think, a really important rule to have because what often happens is people just endorse their friend's books. So it is also a good way to see who's hanging out with who and who's listening to who, you know, even if, you know, the person may not have even read the book, but that's their, that's their person. So, you know, there's a relationship there and, and a, a unified thought, at least on certain things. I go, I go even a step further when I endorse a book and I don't, I see something that has to be like pretty egregious. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so what I'm about to say, I, I want to say that it, it really stands out. And I think as an editor, I think that that needs to be improved mm, and yeah. I'll even tell the person, like, don't be surprised now if I come back to you and mention this, I, I haven't always done that, but I usually do. Because mm -hmm. if I see something that concerns me that I think should be rewritten or improved, I'm coming at it from as an editor, as a very experienced yeah, editor. Yeah, sure. So I'm just trying to be helpful. And I can't tell you how many times that it's, it's been gut-wrenching, disappointing for me. Just to expand on what you just said, it's been gut-wrenching and disappointing to me to be told, oh, no, you're wrong and nobody took it that way or whatever. It's like it doesn't mm. matter if if – whatever name didn't take it that way right a lot of the times okay i have those friends too that, that do this they'll skim the book i'm i'm reading the book i'm slowing down i read extremely fast so i can i could breeze through this in an hour your book i could read this in an hour or less wow okay wow. and and I, and I would understand what you were saying okay yeah but but i read i read one chapter i really think about it i'll sit and you know think about it okay um, and that's how I usually read an endorsement thing because I really want to make sure that it's it's solid, it's good, it's it's good to go. And so when I, I, I will endorse very few books and you won't see me endorse very many books for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll even, I've had to unfortunately tell people no, and I always try to tell them why. Why, yeah, and then, I've had to do that one or two times, yeah. And then, and then, but I always try to help them and it's shocking to me. Well, you didn't, you you're the only one that said that. Well, if I'm the only one that said that, at least I said it because yeah. on the other, on the other side, what do you want? Do you want somebody to, to read your book and then review it and say it on that side? Or do you want somebody on this side right. who cared about sure. you enough? That's an experienced writer and editor and author say that to you. I yeah. would rather have, I would rather have somebody on this side I had that happen. Um, Ray Rhodes, for example, said, hey, you know, there's a section in the word matters. Um, I, I think you should rewrite that. And I said, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. My wife and I read it and she's like, I think you need to rewrite that. Uh, good. Uh, can you rewrite that? You know, help me rewrite that. So yeah, it sounds yeah. a little better, you know, and she did. So, I mean, that that's just like, that's just humility. I mean, mm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. Well, a perfect example of that is we sent, um, we sent the book to Nancy Piercy to, for endorsement and she endorsed, but she also sent us some feedback where we could have, uh, where we could strengthen our wording in a, in a couple of sections and, uh, even reword a couple of things to make it more accurate. And we were like, thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. And so we did, and we were able to make those adjustments. And so, yeah, it's, it, I, I agree with you there. Well, where can people go to find out more about you, the podcast and all of that? And and even tell us about Tim, because, you know, he's your co-author as well. Yeah, well, OK, we'll start with Tim. So I totally recommend everybody go follow his Red Pen Logic pages. If I don't I mean, if you're on TikTok, 
God bless you. I, I don't recommend being on TikTok, but if you are, he's got an amazing TikTok channel, Instagram and YouTube, where basically he takes videos from these deconstructionists and then gets out his red pen and corrects what they've said that's wrong. And it's really helpful because sometimes these videos can be very confusing. They can be very um, faith-shaking. And so this is a great way to get a quick Christian response to what they're saying. So that's Red Pen Logic, Mr. B. I think it's Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. And then, and, and Tim also works with Greg Kokel at Stand to Reason. So he's a part of that team. And then uh, my stuff is, you can find everything at elisachilders.com. My podcast is the Elisa Childers Podcast. And I also have the Unshaken Faith Podcast with my friend Natasha Crane. It's a weekly, shorter podcast where we talk about more cultural topics. So it's 15 or 20 minutes. And I love doing that with Natasha. So that's Unshaken Faith Podcast and the Elisa Childers Podcast. Yeah, and you and you guys do that conference well. As that's well. right, the Unshaken yeah, you, Conference. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. got dates coming up in Detroit and in Pittsburgh, and then in the fall we'll be in Austin and Buffalo, New York. Great, great. We well, I encourage you to check out those. Uh, I see those all over the place. People sharing them like crazy, and of course your other po- Unshaken as uh, Unshaken. Unshaken uh, Faith podcast. Unshaken Faith. I see people share that all over the place. So please go check that out, guys, as well, in addition to Elisa's podcast. Um, You know, Elisa, as we wrap up, do you have any uh, takeaways for those who listen and watch the show on on this book or just this topic as a whole? I think it's just important to understand what deconstruction is so that we can properly respond in relationship with people in our lives. And I just want to recommend... Um, even if you don't read the entire book, if you just read part three, part three is the practical. That's like how you actually navigate relationships with people in deconstruction. So even if you don't want to read a complete, you know, a whole book, for sure part three, but even if nothing else, read our advice chapter because that's when we really walk through the uh relational dynamics of maybe how a spouse is going to walk this through with with a spouse who's deconstructing or a parents with an adult child who's deconstructing or a college kid with a co- with a friend who's deconstructing what that might look like and different questions to ask yourself about that relationship and then some wise principles to use to kind of navigate that so we hope that it really will help the church and equip the church to to deal with it well that is that is wonderful uh, guys, the book is The Deconstruction of Christianity, What It Is, Why It's Destructive, and How to Respond by Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett. Uh, here is the book. If you guys are watching the video, it is it is really, really, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Um, like I said, uh, I've been studying this topic for about two years, maybe a little more, and uh, very excited about this. It's it, so far... I'm only a third of the way through it, guys, uh, just to, for full disclosure, but I really like it. It's it's really helpful as as your other books are as well. Um, just very personal, very helpful, written, easy, very easy to understand. Um, so thank you so much for your work, your continued work on your podcast speaking. And uh, again, I just want to say I'm so encouraged by what you said about just being careful. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. 
You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.